0: all well, so much. If you know John 3:16, quote it with me if you know it, would you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, I'm thankful for God who loves us. And doesn't just state it. He proves it, doesn't he? He proved it to us. You want to know how much God loves you? You know, Read no further than just the story of Calvary and what he went through for us. But would you stand with me and turn to Matthew chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22 and um, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. I want to read uh, from here through to, through verse thirty three. The title of the message is just "In the School of the Master," uh, Matthew chapter fourteen, verse twenty two. It says, "And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary." And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, "'It is a spirit,' and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, "'Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid.' And Peter answered him and said, "'Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water.' And he said, "'Come.' And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the sea to go to Jesus." But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, with, caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for the Scripture. Lord, you've given us in your word, you've given us that promise, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And I'm thankful that in a changing world, changing times from good times to difficult ones, Lord, that you've given us something that remains the same, and it's your word. I'm thankful for your son who loved us and died on the cross for us and rose again that we might be saved. I'm thankful for the privilege of being in church this morning. Pray that I would say what you'd have me to say this morning concerning your word, that I would accurately represent it and say exactly what you'd have and that you'd do a work in our hearts as a result. Lord, I love you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Talk about a story. In the school of the master a few weeks ago, beginning towards the beginning of August, we all started school. How many of you kids have had your first test or quizzes so far? You had your first test or quizzes. Aren't those exciting times? Uh, Let's have a confession. If you're in school, how many of you love school? Raise your hand. Few hands. How many of you tolerate school? Raise your hand. Your teachers are looking for some of you, all right? How many of you say, I can't wait till summer, all right? You can't wait till summer, right? You know, uh, school, I, I, I have to admit, when I was in school, my eyes would often wander to the window and think of all the things I could do outside, all right? But, uh, you know, with school, with any amount of education, there's something that, that splits it up in there. As you, as you teach something, you come across something that nobody loves, or most people don't, quizzes and tests, quizzes and tests. But those quizzes and tests are meant to check something out, Have you learned the things that have been taught to you over the course of the previous lessons? And those tests and those quizzes are are testing your knowledge. Have you learned it? Have you grabbed a hold of the things that have been taught to you? In this passage of Scripture, we see the Lord trying and testing and proving his disciples. Uh, The Lord had called them at various occasions. I think of Peter and James and John. They were mending their nets. And uh, the Lord would come to them and he'd say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew, the tax collector, was there collecting taxes when the Lord would call him, and he would get up and follow the Lord. And for three years, they would sit underneath the Master's teaching, wouldn't they? And they would see him; they would hear him preach the Sermon on the Mount that he preached to a great many people. They would they would hear the, the Olivet Discourse as he talked about things to come, and uh, they would hear those those individual conversations that he would have, even maybe with the Pharisees or the Sadducees. But but more than the public teaching of Christ. They would have that private time with the Lord. I cannot imagine what it must have been like for them of an evening to go sit around a campfire and, and commune with the God of heaven and as he just opened up and taught his disciples for three years. Of course, we know what happened at the end of those three years. The Lord would depart, wouldn't he? He would give himself on Calvary. One of the 12 would betray him. He would reject the Lord and who he was, and he would betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And he would betray the Lord. The Lord would be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he would be in prayer and lifting up his voice in prayer in his final hours. And Judas and his band would come marching through the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Lord would allow himself to be taken. In John chapter 19, it says that that he would ask whom they would seek, and they would say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he would say the words, I am he. And when he spoke those words, they all fell over backwards. And the Lord said he did this so that they would leave his disciples alone in the book of John chapter 18 and 19. Of course, Judas would give that kiss of betrayal and the Lord would allow him to be taken. And there, that illegal trial at night, it it, it was an illegal trial. Even the religious crowd knew that that trial wasn't allowed to happen at night, but they would hold it at night. They would hire liars to lie against the Lord and they would condemn him for who he was, especially the truthful claim that he was the son of God. They would ship him off to Pilate and to Herod and back and forth. And the crowd would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate would offer them, he'd say, well, why don't you take Barabbas instead? And they would choose to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? Of course, you know the story. He would hang on that cross, nails through his hands and through his feet, hanging on that cross, beaten, the Bible says, until he was unrecognizable as a man. They would pluck out his beard and mockingly shove a crown of thorns upon his head to mock that he could be the king of anybody. They would robe him in purple to mock him as royalty, only to rip it off his body and the horrors of, the, of the, the physical agony, but certainly the horrors of the shame that he would bear as he took our sin upon him. And he would utter those words, it is finished, and he would give up the ghost, the Bible tells us, and he would pay that price. Three days later, he would rise again. The scripture would tell us that over the next 40 days at various occasions, he would appear to his disciples until finally there he would ascend from the Mount of Olivet and he would descend up into heaven and he would leave his disciples alone. He would send them out in the world with a purpose. He had a purpose and a plan for them. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us what it was. Jesus said these words to them, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Lord would tell them, I want you to go to be a witness of me. I want you to go into all the world. And he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea, that area immediately surrounding Jerusalem, Samaria, even a further reach, and in the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he would ascend up into heaven and he would leave them alone. And what a job they did, friend. We're sitting here today because of the job they did. Matter of fact, God would call the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, and the Apostle Paul would take the gospel into Europe. And thus the Western world would be, Christianity would be introduced to the Western world. And here we are today on the shores of America because of that process that God gave that would bring us to where we are today. But the Lord in his time, in his three years with his disciples was teaching them from the Sermon on the Mount to the Mount of Olivet to the individual discourses. But in this chapter, it was a test that was being given. If you were to read that earlier in this chapter, you would see that the Lord had just fed 5,000 people. They had followed him out into the wilderness, and he had preached, and now they were hungry, and there was no food for them but a few loaves and fishes, and he would feed them with, with a few loaves and fishes and feed 5,000 people. And then he would turn to his disciples, and he said, I want you to head across the sea of Galilee. I want you to go to the other side. And he goes, I'll, I'll disperse the people. I'll send them away, and, but you start and head across So his disciples would get in the boat and they'd head for the other side of the Sea of Galilee and the Lord would disperse the crowd, but he was in no rush to get to his disciples. The Bible said he'd go up into the mountain and he would begin to pray. Matter of fact, he would wait till the fourth watch of the night into the middle of the night before he would go to see his disciples, but he was leaving his disciples alone in the midst of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. He was testing them. He had told them who he was, the Son of God, he had taught them the words of the scripture. He would speak with authority. He had told them about his person. He had proven who he was. He would proven that, prove that he was the son of God. He, he would make the lepers clean. And there could be no question that this man, the son of God, had power over disease. He... He would calm the sea, and there could be no question that he had power over nature. We see that in this passage of Scripture. He would forgive sins when he say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, and he would show his power to forgive sin. He would cast out the demons and the devils, showing his power over even Satan and his enemies, proving in miracles who he was, teaching the Word of God. And yet now it was time to see and to test what they knew. All of life is filled with learning, whether it's formal or informal. We're constantly learning, aren't we? But life is also filled with its share of tests, isn't it? James would tell us this. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God would allow those trials to come our way, and in this passage of Scripture, he would send his disciples into the middle of a storm. It is true that sometimes God sends folks into the middle of a storm, isn't it? We're in the presence of folks that their life is to go into the presence of storms, isn't it? Other storms, and they do it on behalf of people. But in this passage of Scripture, we see some disciples that God would send into the storm. And and I know why. Because they would face more serious storms than this one on the Sea of Galilee. Because out of the 12 men on that boat outside of Judas, the one who would betray the Lord, the 11, and possibly John, who we don't know for sure, but they would all give their life in their service of the Lord. They would carry the gospel to strange cities, the Bible would say. Peter would be crucified upside, upside down. Paul, the apostle who would later be called, would give his life before Nero in Rome. And these men would give their life going from strange cities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord was seen if the things that he had taught them as he was with them, did they grab it? Had it taken root in their heart? Look at the tests that he places, uh, that he allows them to experience. The first one was a test of direction. Verse 22 here, look at that verse again in chapter 14 and verse 22. and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship, to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening cut was come, he was there alone, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves and the wind, for the wind was contrary. Boy, I wonder how far they got out into the sea before they started. Maybe the thought entered their mind. Did he really know what he was doing when he sent us to the other side? Did he really know what he was doing? It was a test of, if you will, direction. It was a test for Peter. If the Peter himself would ask the Lord, if it's you, bid me to come upon the water, and the Lord would call him to come. And yet somewhere in the middle of his walking on the water, he got his eyes off the Lord and he looked at the wave and he sank. Boy, there was a test of direction in his life. There's no question that God gives direction in our life. There's no question that he gives us instruction in his word. And the Bible says these words in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The Lord says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But let me ask you something. Have you ever been doing what you knew to be right, and next thing you know, all of a sudden in the middle of it, the trial and the circumstance comes up, and you begin to ask, does God really know what he's doing when he sent me this way? Did he really know what he's doing? I know what he said in the Scripture. I know the promises of God's Word. But I'm in the middle of this circumstance that sure says something different. And here in this passage of Scripture, we see the Lord sending his disciples into a trial of direction. He had sent them out to the sea, and surely somewhere along the way when the storm hit them pretty hard and these men who knew the, the Sea of Galilee well, many of them were fishermen, on that moment they must have been asking themselves, did he really know what he was asking when he sent us out here? This is the Son of God, and he knows it all. Why would he send us here? friend, there was, are you going to keep following the Lord, or do you only follow him in clear skies? Well, the call is to keep following the Lord, even when it's not so clear. There is no question that in life, this world has been touched and marred by sin, isn't it? I think of Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, where the Lord said, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death has passed upon all men. You don't have to get past the third chapter of Genesis to see what's wrong with this world, do you? He made a world and made it perfect, and he put Adam and Eve in it, and he gave them the choice, didn't he? Just don't eat of that tree. The day that you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. He gave them choice. I like this song. He loved me. Love always offers a choice, doesn't it? The Lord gave Adam and Eve a choice. He loved them, and he wanted them to follow him, but he wasn't going to coerce them into it. He wasn't wasn't going to force them, and so he gave them the choice. Just don't eat of that tree. You can follow me, but if you ever eat of that tree, there is the choice to disobey me and to reject me. And, of course, they would. They would eat of the tree. They wanted to follow themselves rather than him. And what a horrible decision that was. Sin entered into the world and death by sin. You go to the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 4, and see the, the horrible consequences of it, can't you? Cain would rise up and kill his own brother and the world has been filled with heartache ever since it's a hard world touched by sin nature itself has been touched by it we have been touched by it and yet in the middle of all the ugliness of the world the temptation and the test for the Christian is will you keep following me when the skies are not clear these disciples one day we're going to have to follow the Lord into the very face of persecution these men would watch their savior crucified in just a a short time from this time and they themselves as they would go forward with the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world would face persecution and god was checking to see as he sent them out onto the sea alone will you follow my direction for much of the ministry of the Lord, they knew what it was to sit by him by the campfires, to see him five, see feed 5,000 at one time, 4,000 at another, to make lame to walk and blind people to see, to heal the lepers and calm the sea. And they had seen him do it, but now they were out on the sea all by themselves. And God was testing them. There's going to be a day when I'm gone. And he would leave them with the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, but he would no longer be with them. And he was testing, will you follow me in spite of the storm? I think there's tests in our life. Will you follow Christ in spite of hardship? Will you follow him in spite of hardship? How many times does our pursuit of God wane when things get tough? Will you follow God? There was a test of direction. There was a test of focus. Look at verse thirty, you begin, or well, we'll go beyond, a little bit earlier than verse thirty, but look up at verse twenty-eight. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come into thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter came was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Well, there is there is Peter. What a moment. I, I would have there's certain passages, places in Scripture I wish I could jump back in time and I don't know that I would want to be a participant, but I'd like to, see a, like to watch it unfold, all right? I don't think I'd want to be a participant this night, but if I could take a look back and see it, I, I would like to. Peter, there he is in the boat, and they see the Lord walking on the water, and that, that in itself was a moment. They thought at first it was a spirit, and the Lord would, would calm their nerves and say to his eye, be of good cheer. And Peter, as he saw the Lord, said, boy, if he's doing it, I wonder if he'd let me do it. And so he called the Lord and said, bid me to come unto thee upon the water. If it's thee, bid me to come. And the Lord would just say one word, come. And he would step out of the boat and he would walk to the Lord. No question at that moment, there could be no question about who this was, that God, the only one who could control nature itself and defy the laws of nature, was the one who created it. And Peter walks out on water, but I, but I think for a moment as I watch this story unfold, I think there had to be a moment when Peter, he'd seen the Lord, he had, was watching the Lord, but now he's standing on the water, and I picture him looking down at his feet to say, is this really happening? As he looks down, but when he looks up, he fails to look towards the Lord. And where does he look? Seeing the, way the wind boisterous, he looks right at the wave, doesn't he? And he sees how big the wave is. He sees how strong the wind is. I wonder if he feels the rain or the the water brushing across his face. And he became fearful. What he did is he took his gaze off of the Lord, didn't he? And his focus became on how big the wave was. And when he saw how big the wave was, and because his focus was there on the wave, the Lord seemed very small. I will tell you this, what will seem biggest in your life is where your gaze is at. Hey, I tell you what, if your gaze is on all the ugliness of life, the Lord will seem very small. I'm thankful for our first responders that are here. I'm thankful for our soldiers that are here. I know by the nature of your vocation, you see the worst side of life. On a daily basis, if you're in law enforcement, no doubt you're watching the The horrible nature of man, the fact that man is a sinner is without question in your mind because you've seen too much wrong not to. Matter of fact, even if you're outside of law enforcement, sometimes you can get your eyes on the wave and look at this world and say, what is going on? And if that becomes your focus, something happens. God seems very small. I've sat with folks and they've just seen, I don't see how there can be a God I don't see how there can be a God if all of these things are going on. You know what the problem was? Where they were looking. Where they were looking. Looking at the wave, looking at the wind, looking at the storm. But in this passage of Scripture, we see that God was above it. He was walking on it. He was walking through it. He was sending his disciples into it. But the reality was God was there. And even as he would step into the boat, the storm would cease. And we see that in spite of the ugliness of the storm, that there was a God who was still in control. And though God has given us a choice and as going as far back as Adam and Eve when he said just don't eat of that tree and though he gave man free will and man's free will choice to sin has brought some ugliness into this world and God continues to give us a free will choice and when a man freely chooses to do wrongs this world becomes an ugly place. But there is still a God in heaven. There is still a God in heaven. There is still a God who sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and the Lord was looking around to say, Where will you look? In Hebrews, he would say, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Jude 21, he would say, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In Luke 9, 62, it said, Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He was testing them. Where are you looking? I would tell you today, Christian, it is still the question, where are you looking? I will tell you this. If you're always looking at the ugliness of life, friend, you will sink. It's not a matter if you will, it's a matter of when you will. Because sin is ugly and it does horrible things. It does horrible things to homes and individuals and families and countries and all nature of it. Sin is always destructive. I think of the verse where it said, Lust when it hath conceived bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. There's never been a sin that hasn't destroyed in some way, shape, or form. And it can become ugly. But the call is not that we get caught up with the ugliness. The call is that we keep our gaze on the lord we have a god who loved us so much that he would leave the right hand of the throne of god to be born in a little manger in bethlehem born of a virgin so he wouldn't have a sin nature like you and i have a sin nature we've been that way since birth haven't haven't we wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned cain and abel were sinners because their parents had chosen to be sinners and it was in their blood you can hold, I have five children, three of them in here. I, I could hold each of them as, as, as a child came into the world. And few things seem so innocent as a little baby when they're born, do they? But you know how long it takes to see that they have a sin nature? Not very long. Do you know what an infant cares about? The infant. That's it, right? That baby's going to cry when they're hungry. They're going to get mad when you don't change them. They're going to be mad when they get hungry. They're going to be mad when you don't hold them. Audrey, can I embarrass you for a moment? She's like, you don't have a choice. When she was just a few months old, she was 7 o'clock at night like clockwork. She would scream, scream, scream. You're pretty sweet now, baby girl. All right, all right, yeah. But, you know, it doesn't take long in this life, does it? And the older we get, the more our lives prove it, doesn't it? We were born that way, and our choices have proven it. But there's a God who loved us anyway. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The love of God. The mercy of God. The grace of God. The greatness of God. Where do you choose to look? Some choose to look only at the storm and become miserable in this life. Others choose to keep their eyes upon the Savior. And they know the joy of the Lord in spite of the storm. In spite of the storm. It was, a test of their, it was a test, if you will, of their direction, a test of their focus and a test of their faith. Verse 31, it says this, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? That focus affected his faith, didn't it? His focus, where he looked, affected his faith. I, you know, faith alone doesn't save a man. It's, it's what you're, what you're, the object of your faith that changes the life, doesn't it? Boy, matter of fact, everybody has faith. Everybody on this earth has some faith of some kind. Matter of fact, if you drove here this morning, you had faith that that vehicle would bring you here, right? Depending on the vehicle, it could have been a little bit of faith, all right? If you all had faith in something, you have faith in that bank that holds your money. You had faith in that if you rode a bus this morning and that guy who drove you here, you have, you have faith in that pew when you sat in it that would hold you up. But, but all of those faiths are only as good as the object you place it in. And I'll tell you about every other type of faith on this earth. They all fail. Banks fail, businesses fail, people fail, material things fail, vehicles fail, everything fails, except for Jesus. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. He looked at his disciples and said, "Oh, ye of little faith!" It was a test of their faith. Now it didn't say, "Oh, ye of no faith," did it? Aren't you thankful for that? It wasn't that God rebuked Peter for a lack of faith, didn't it? He just said, "Oh, ye of little faith," wherefore it said thou doubt? I'm thankful that God doesn't require us to have perfect faith. Bible said grain of a what? Mustard seed. You know how I know that Peter had some faith? Because when he was in the storm and he sank, did he say, hey, John, throw me a rope? Did he? No, he didn't. Hey, James, bring the boat closer. That's not what he said. Throw me a life jacket, quickly. Get me out of the water. I'm sinking. That's not what he said. He said, Lord save me. He was not a faithless man. His matter of fact, he he knew the one who could save him was the Lord. His faith was small, but it was there. And he called upon his Lord. Lord, save me, he said. And Lord stretched out his hand and immediately grabbed him and pulled him out of the water. And, And I'm thankful that God doesn't require of us having perfect faith. I think of the father who came to the Lord with a lunatic son, or the son possessed with a demon, and the Lord, he, the Lord asked him, if thou believest, he would, he would deal with it. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Well, I've just got a little bit, but I've got some. Here is Peter. And then God was testing to see what kind of faith he had. There was still some doubt there. But he knew who to turn to. And God was saying, how much faith do you have, Peter? It's pretty amazing faith to step out of the boat. I don't think I would have done that, right? Matter of fact, out of the the 12 that were in the boat, only one of them chose to do that. It's pretty amazing faith. But he got out there and he put his eyes on the wrong thing and his faith got a whole lot smaller. I'll tell you something. You put your eyes on the wrong thing and your faith will get a whole lot smaller. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? The word of God. There is the call. To put our faith in something that is solid, and his name is Jesus, and he's given me something tangible that I can hold to it is his word. The grass withereth and the flower faded, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Do you know your New Testament manuscripts from which you get the New Testament? Do you know there's over 5,000 copies of it going all the way back to 130 AD? You know, of all the works of literature, Aristotle and all of them, they don't have that kind of evidence. Just a matter of fact, many times, just a few, few copies. There's over 5,000 manuscripts going all the way back to 130 A.D. of your New Testament. Just a physical proof that you have something reliable and unchanging. The Old Testament, the New Testament, given to us by God, something I can rest in, This world changes, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a God. Where is your faith? The Lord tested their their direction. Would they follow him? He tested their their focus. Will you keep your eyes on me? He tested their faith. and, And will you trust in me? And then we see this. He trusts. He tests a test of relationship. And We'll be finished. Look at verse 31 again. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind, what, it ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Boy, the most in question, important question in the world to answer is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus. They stood there as they, they sat in that ship, and as the Lord put his foot, as Peter and the Lord together stepped into the boat, all of, them, all of a sudden the wind ceased in a moment. Nature itself was in obedience, creation itself was in obedience to its creator. They had seen creation fall in line. They had saw disease fall in line. They had saw demons fall in line. Uh, They had seen sin be forgiven. And in this moment, there was no question in your heart. They had heard his word. They had seen his work. And they simply said, truly, thou art the Son of God. There would be a Roman centurion there at the foot of the cross after the Lord would give up the ghost and the earth would shake. And he would say, truly, this was the Son of God. See, the most important question you must answer in life is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Some would say he's a good man. In Matthew chapter 16, just a few chapters on from this one, the Lord would be walking down the road with his disciples on the way to Caesarea Philippi, and he would look at, his deci- and he'd look at those disciples and say, Whom do men say that I am? And they would all begin to speak up and say things they had heard. Well, some say you're Jeremiah the prophet. Some say you're Elias from the Old Testament, risen again. Some say that you're John the Baptist, risen again. And the Lord would look at his disciples, and he would say, but whom do ye say that I am? And Peter would give the most important answer of his life. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The Lord would say, flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my father which is in heaven hath revealed it unto thee. You're the Lord in the flesh. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 would say this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that's who he was, the Lord Jesus And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. That's what he's done for us. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not what we do. It's what we believe that saves a man. You can try your hardest to be a good man. Try your hardest to be a good person. But it's not what you do, friend. It's what you believe. For with a heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. These fellows in that boat that day said something. You're the son of God. And this son of God who had sat at the right hand of God left the throne of God to be born in a little manger in Bethlehem to live his life without sin to spend three years with these men so that when he died and rose again when he had finished his work they could go on with the work that he had given them and that was to tell the world about him. He would die on that cross and three days later he would rise again and shortly thereafter he'd ascend up into glory. What you do with Jesus will determine your eternity. What you believe about Jesus determines our eternity. Is he God? Did he die? Did he rise? Have you trusted in him? What you believe about him and what he has done is what will determine where you spend eternity. Their relationship. He tested them that day. He had taught them Matter of fact, if you read the earlier chapters of Matthew, you can see some of the very conversations he'd had with them and that they sat in the company as he taught others, and they had heard it. You can read some of the miracles that he performed, not just so that he could do some wonder, but that they could believe and see his power and say, this must be Jesus, this must be the Messiah, this must be the Son of God. But this moment, that night, the most important test of their life They didn't get a perfect score on this test here, but they got the most important question, didn't they? Truly, thou art this is the Son of God. The most important question. This is God. And I would ask you today, who was Jesus? Not asking you if you know about him, because you've been here, you've heard about him. But do you know him? Do you believe in who he was? And do you believe in what he's done? Those are the two most important questions of life, the test. In the school of the master, he would look at these 11 disciples. He's 12. One would deny him, the son of perdition, Judas. And he would test them, their direction. Will you go where I send you? He would test their focus. Will you keep your eyes on me? He would test their faith. O oh, thou of little faith. He would test the relationship. Who do you believe me to be? The test of a lifetime. I would say nothing's changed, friend. If you've been alive very long on this earth, you would know that your direction will be tested. Your focus will be tested. Some storms will come and it'll be, where are you going to look? Are you going to look at the ugliness of the storm or are you going to look to the Lord? Life can be horrible at times. Your faith will be tested. Is God really as good as he says he is? But most importantly, your relationship. Do you know him today? Do you know him? Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the scripture. What a passage of scripture. uh, I think of how you said in your word, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. Lord, this book is just as relevant for us today as it was then. The moment those disciples heard from you and you tested them, well, life hasn't changed much. The wrapping paper of life, things may look a little bit different, but the tests and the trials, boy, how similar they are. Think of the decisions those disciples made to trust in the Lord. I pray those would be decisions that we would make as well this morning. Lord, maybe our direction is being tested in life because of some storm, and we'll stay the course with our Savior. Maybe it's a matter of focus. Maybe some of us are here are, are living miserably because we have too much of our focus on the, the wind and the wave rather than on the Lord. Or maybe it's a matter of faith this morning. What are we trusting in today? Are we trusting in the physical things of this life or have we put our full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what is our relationship? Do we know God? Have we called upon him? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you this there in your seat. How many of you, let me ask you the most important question first. If How many of you could say, Preacher, there was a time in my life when I trusted in Christ, and, boy, as the Scripture said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm not asking you if you know about I'm asking, but would there be a moment in your life when you say, Preacher, I, I've trusted in him. I've called upon him. I know the Lord. I know him personally. I know him as my Savior. Maybe your tests haven't always come back the way you wanted. Maybe not every step of life is, have you st- been stellar in, but you could say this this morning, Preacher, I know Christ. That's settled for me. I know I'm headed for home in heaven when I, when I leave this world behind because I've trusted in Him. If that's settled for you, would you raise your hand? Just a question before you end up between you and I and the Lord, and thank you. You may put your hand down. Is there anybody here to say, Preacher, I'm unsure of that, but right here in my seat this morning, I'd like to trust Christ. I won't embarrass you. I promise you that, but I'd like to lead you in a prayer if you'd be willing to trust in the Lord. You say, Preacher, I'm unsure, but I'd like to do that this morning. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? Say, Preacher, I'm I'm unsure, but I'd like to. Thank you. may put your hands down. Let me ask you this then, folks. If you'd say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. I don't know what's going on in your life individually. Some maybe I do, but maybe it's a test of direction and the Lord's allowed something in your life to say, are you going to keep pursuing me? Maybe it's that matter of focus. Where is your gaze set? Where is your gaze set? Maybe it's just a matter of faith, and you just need to say, Lord, I, I have a little faith, but I need you to strengthen my faith today. But you say, hey, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this morning in, in the course of the message. If you raise your hand as a testimony, and would you stand with me? And as our pianist begins to play, I'd like to give you the opportunity to pray. And whether it's there in your seat or here at the altar this morning, as, as God has spoken to your heart here at the, the steps, if you'd stand with me, there's an opportunity for prayer. and. As God has spoken to your heart, why don't you do business with the Lord this morning? And if nothing else, why don't you take a moment and thank Him for who He is. I'm thankful for that I have a God who's beyond and over and above the circumstance. He, He goes through it with us, but He has strength over it. And even as the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and God sent them into storm, the reality was God was in control of that storm. It wouldn't take the disciples that he sent into it because he had a purpose and a plan for them. And maybe it's time just to say thank you. But as the pianist plays, as the invitational hymn is sung, do business with the Lord this morning.